0: Good evening. Today is Wednesday, February 16th, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is into action. And the step is step seven. And our speaker tonight is Janet B. Thank you, Janet.
1: Thank you. Hey, everyone. Um, I'm Janet B. I'm from New Jersey recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia. And I made a crazy big mistake. I thought I was speaking on the chapter of the family afterwards. So I spent tons of time prepping it. And at about 7.53, I looked at my phone to get the login. And I said, and I saw it was step seven. So I'm gonna do my best for you guys. Um, so page 76 of our book, it has one paragraph devoted to step seven. And it's hard to really talk about it in a vacuum. So we'll just real quick see how we got here. Um, Step one, we all admitted we were powerless. Our lives didn't work. Our brains didn't work. We couldn't remember with sufficient impact the suffering and the humiliation. It was like when the memory tried to get across, the bridge was broken. We couldn't remember. We couldn't keep the memory green. And that's what drove us all on our knees to get help. So step two, came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Maybe we didn't believe it at first. Maybe we were like me, believed there was a God, but he was there for war and poverty and children starving in Ethiopia. And what did he care about me and my problems? But through doing the work in the big book, um, especially in We Agnostics, a real specific how we can clear away the spiritual cataracts and the prejudices that stop us from um, realizing what my favorite line on page 55, that God has planted in every human being the fundamental idea of himself. So when God created me, I got two kidneys, a heart, two lungs, and the idea of God. It was just blocked by, you know, my putting myself on the throne by my prejudices. So step two, we clear it away. Step three, once we have our conception of God, um, it doesn't have to be any kind of religious conception. um, We surrender our lives to God. And that basically means, God, I'm no longer gonna wake up and say, what does Janet feel like doing today? I'm gonna wake up and say, God, what's your will for me? In the fourth step, then we look at, the things we've done in our past that have blocked us from God. It's like we've built this brick wall out of our character defects, our resentments, our fears, and our harms to others. So in the fourth step, we inventory it. In the fifth step, we admit it all to this God who, again, by this point, hopefully we're starting to realize that God loves us and has our back. So I can admit anything to God because it's not going to matter. And then in the sixth step, I become willing to have God remove them. And in the seventh step, I humbly ask him to remove my defects of character. So in the big book on page 76, it tells us a prayer, we say, that's all they say about step seven is a prayer. And the prayer starts like this, my creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me good and bad my creator, interesting word for God they're using here because I needed to be recreated. The Janet that I was, wasn't gonna be able to stop binging and wasn't gonna be of any use to God or anyone else in this world. So now God's removing my defects and he's going to recreate me. So I'm willing that he has all of me, good and bad. My bad, of course, but even take my good, and do whatever you want with it. Take my talents, whatever gifts you've given me, you you have a God, do with it whatever you want. And then I pray that you, meaning God, I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character, which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows, because that's my goal, right? Our book says at the beginning, we're just trying to get our own lives in order, right? I didn't come around here, because I wanted God or because I cared about you guys. I came in here because I couldn't stop shoving food down my throat. But it says it changes, right? Somewhere it changes. And then we're no longer running from food. We're running toward a better relationship with God and a better way to be useful to our fellows. So God, remove everything that stands in the way of me being useful to you and my fellows. How am I useful to God? Um, Those of you who know me know that um, my conception of God is he created the world in six days, took a day off to rest, and then instead instead of spending the rest of eternity watching Netflix, he launches search and rescue programs for addicts. And he wants us, he allows us, he gives me the privilege to join with him on these search and rescue missions. But if I'm filled with like dishonesty and selfishness and pride, I am not going to be of any use to him and to others. And then the seventh step prayer, we ask for the removal of our defects. And then we end with a prayer to God, grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Give me the strength to do the things that you want me to do. Well, that's all that the big book has to say about step seven, but I probably have about 15 more minutes. So let's pull out our um, AA 12 and 12 and go to step seven. It is on page 70 and it says, okay, humbly ask them to remove our shortcomings. And this step concerns itself with humility So that's what we're gonna talk about. That's what they say, not me. Um, So they want us to talk about steps, um, talk about humility. And they say, attaining greater humility is the foundation principle of all our steps. Well, how come? I just wanted to stop eating. Like what the heck does humility have to do with it? And it says, without some degree of humility, no alcoholic can stay sober at all. No compulsive eater can be abstinent. Well, how come? How come? Well, I think if I don't have humility, then I'm thinking that I got this, God. Even if I even acknowledge you, um, I got this. I don't need God. I can handle this myself. And what do we all know, right? That we're powerless over food. This illness is has more power than I do. So if I've got like one unit of power and this illness has, let's say a hundred units, I'd better find a source of power that has at least 101 units. Well, fortunately God has like infinite power. So if I think I've got this, God's a perfect gentleman. He said, Janet, you think you got it? Sure, I'll let you handle it yourself. And then I'm in trouble. So they say we can't even, stay sober, stay abstinent. But then they say even more, unless we get more humility, we can't be truly happy. We can't be useful or in adversity when things are hard. We can't summon the faith that can meet any emergency. Like what what does humility have to do with me having faith? And what they're saying is that lack of humility actually blocks faith and faith is needed to deal with life's problems, right? Hard situations require more faith. And if I say, don't worry, God, I got this. I don't need you. I don't need any help. Then when things are rough, I'm not going to turn to God. So they're saying that, um, We need to have humility if we want to develop our faith, if we want to be happy, if we want to be useful, and bottom line if we want to be abstinent at all. On the next page, page 71, um, they give us a few things to watch out for in the paragraph that starts certainly no alcoholic and surely no member of AA or OA wants to deprecate material achievement. So that's something I can practice if I want humility, that I'm not supposed to go around saying, say, oh, you know what? All that counts is I'm just like spiritual. So you got an MBA, you graduated college, you know, you got a PhD, it doesn't matter. All that matters is how's your prayer life, sweetheart? Mm-mm. Says, we don't do that. We don't put down material achievement. The second thing it says we don't do, we don't enter into debate with people who cling to the belief that satisfying our basic natural desires is the main object of life. So if people say, you know what? The point of life is to like eat, drink and be merry because we're gonna die and then we're all gonna turn to worm food. I don't have to debate them. I can just say, yeah, you know that, those values don't work for me. But it doesn't make me better. It's like, um, I don't do all this because I'm some saint. I do all this because I was in the gutter and I have to. So we don't sit there. And if other people just want to, you know, go get um, master's degrees, and I mean, look, I have two master's degrees, so I'm not putting it down. But if they just like want to focus on their achievements and, you know, that it's just to get a big house and all that, that's fine. I just can't live that way. The third thing it tells us we can't do is to demand more than our share of security, prestige and romance. And you know, the prestige makes sense to me, right? Like pride, right? Of course, I'm not supposed to go around wanting to be put on a pedestal, you know, romance, now I'm, now I'm married. So it's kind of, um, it's not really an issue, but before I was married, that was a tough one for me, right? Like I just wanted to make sure that God was going to give me a husband on my timetable. And that's what people like us do. And we can substitute anything for husband, right? We can fill in the blank, God, you'd better give me children. And then when we have children, you'd better give me children who want to go to medical school and be doctors. And, you know, then when, you know, so there's always something that we want and it's okay to want, but we're people who demand. And then I see the word security and I think, oh, that's interesting. And I think, but now I get it. It makes sense that um, my security is in God. I, you know I'm thinking now like my kids are born um, in Ukraine that we adopted them and Ukraine is a very insecure country right now. They might be invaded and taken over by a communist country any day now. And I would think that living there, it's hard to have security. And the only thing we can do in situations like that is trust that my ultimate security is God that in the end, And the end might not even be in this lifetime. He's going to work everything out for my good. Remember, we learned like in step three, God's got our back. God's got my back. Um, I was flying home from vacation last week. And for a while, it got like really turbulent. And I thought, what if this plane goes down? And I thought, okay, if it does, like, I know where I'm gonna wake up, I'm okay. And then I had the thought, but what about my kids? And I thought, you know, the God who loves me will somehow make sure that my kids are okay. And so obviously the plane didn't crash, um, but I was able to now, and I am listen, tomorrow something horrible may happen and I may be doing like 17 fear inventories, but I think um, our goal, our ideal, is to have our security rooted in God. Okay, and it says the last thing that we don't do, it says in the illness, we drank to dream greater dreams or we binged to you know puff ourselves up to dream greater dreams or to blot out our intolerable situation. And I think the opposite here, the principle to practice is to be content be content with what we have, what God's given us. Um, So it goes on to say that in the illness without humility, we lack the perspective to see that character building and spiritual values have to come first. And that material satisfaction isn't the purpose of living. So that's really telling me that like, God's more concerned with my character than my comfort, that that's really what he's going to work on for me. And again, in the big book, it says that, um, for us, spiritual growth comes before financial security. I may not be saying it exactly right, but it's, it says, um, spiritual growth always precedes financial security. God's more concerned with the state of my soul than the state of my bank account. Okay. Um, on page seventy-two, it says, "As long as we were convinced that we could live exclusively by our own individual strength and intelligence, for just that long was a working faith in a higher power impossible." So I think that's interesting. The word "working faith," and then I think about my life before recovery. I was not an agnostic or an atheist. I don't think ever. I always believed in God, but it made no difference to my life. I didn't say, oh, there is a God, therefore I shouldn't lie. I shouldn't, you know, pretend to my boyfriend that I've been mugged so that he'll pay me more attention. You know, I just like, it was, I believed in God, but God had no relevance to my life. So I had a non-working faith. And that's what they tell us. Um, We could have a non-working faith, even if we believe that God exists. then it says, we could actually have earnest religious beliefs, which remained barren because we were still trying to play God ourselves. What does that mean to play God? It means me doing things to get a result that I want. Instead of doing something, just because it's the right thing to do. And then it tells me, and I have a big star by this in my book, that basic ingredient of all humility, a desire to seek and do God's will was missing. Now, I always thought like the definition of humility was like thinking that other people, you know, like putting, that I wasn't better than other people, Um, things like that, but they're saying the basic ingredient of humility is a desire to seek and do God's will. So what they're telling three minutes. Okay. So what they're telling me is that humility is really an action step to seek God's will. My step 11 to pray and meditate and to do it right. Step 12, practice these principles in all our affairs. Okay, three minutes and four pages. So I'm going to talk Jersey. I'm going to talk really fast. Um, Page 73, it says, okay, don't worry. A whole lifetime geared to self-centeredness cannot be set in reverse all at once. Rebellion dogs are every step at first. At first, living this way of life, seeking God's will, trying to do it, trying to serve others is hard, but the spiritual battle gets easier. Rebellion dogs are every step at first, but it gets easier. It never gets super easy, but it gets easier. Um, And it goes ahead and on page 75, it tells us the result, the fruit of humility. It says, we began to get over the idea that the higher power was a sort of bush league pinch hitter to be called upon only in an emergency. That's how I used God before I came into recovery. God was a genie in the bottle. When I was in trouble, I would, you know, rub the bottle, hope the genie would come out and rescue me. And one, if he did, never thought about him again. If he didn't, you know, didn't think about him anyway. But that was God's job, to serve the great me. And it says no. The, the notion that we could... St- we would live our own lives, God helping a little now and then began to evaporate. Um, it goes away. And it says if we refuse to place God first, we deprive ourselves of His help. When we refuse to place God first, we deprive ourselves of His help, right? But isn't that what the big book tells us? Either God is everything or else He is nothing. And finally, um, on page 76, it tells us what's at the basis of our fear, um, of all our defects, self-centered fear, fear will lose something we have, or we won't get something we demand. Isn't that why we lie? We want to get out of trouble, not get into trouble or get something we want. And we all know that you know we can't live with dishonesty. If we're dishonest, we may as well take a big black magic marker and write the word, keep out God across our hearts because God will not, absolutely will not coexist with dishonesty. And so finally, the end of this chapter says that um, if, a, if humility can enable us to find the grace by which such a deadly obsession could be banished, grace, unmerited favor by a God who loves me and wants to give me a gift, then there must be hope of the same result, respecting any other problem we could possibly have. This program isn't just for food or alcohol. And I've heard people say like the next level is emotional sobriety. And I say with Dr. Bob, um, it's all about spiritual sobriety and that humility is one of the um, opposite of defects, assets that we can practice in order to just live in the miracle. And with that, I pass. Thank you so
0: much, Janet V. That was so amazing. Uh, We will now open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares. As this is a big book study, Sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step. If you came in after the meeting started, we're on step seven and that's what we're studying this week. And we ask that you accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Would the timekeeper please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when the time is up. If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. And the Zoom host will start calling, Uh, Kristen will start calling on the names now.
2: Well, I guess I'll, I'll go ahead. I'm Kristen. I'm a, a compulsive overeater. I, um, I guess Janet, I wanted to ask, I was really struck with the, uh, what you were saying about fear, um, about, um, what was it? Something that I'm going to lose something. Can you go a little, I guess a little bit more about fear and how that affects our connection with our higher power. And I guess, you know, I'm have some pretty big fears right now and, um, I'm almost afraid of letting the fear go because of what I'll lose from it, if you know what I mean. Like the fear itself is holding me together. Any Anything you can
1: comment on that? Yes, it's hard to comment without knowing specifics.
2: Well, I mean, um, you know, particularly I'm afraid of like putting down the food right now. And so um I just have this huge amount of fear that comes up whenever I think about it. And it's the fear, um, and I don't know I just any it's this just deep, deep fear that I'm gonna be lost without
1: it. And I didn't know if you had any any, anything. Okay. So that's not really a fear question. Cause fear, fear, like the way we do it is in, in step four. So you're talking about at the, you're at the beginning, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So the requirements to work the steps are if you have decided you want what we have, which is a spiritual experience based on these steps and are willing to go to any lengths to get it. Then you are ready to take certain steps. So to that, I would say, you know, very like gently, um, you can make a decision to do it, even though right now you're afraid. You're afraid you won't be able to. You're afraid. What will my life look like? Um, if I put the, you know, if I put the food down and really we can't even put the food down, right? God has to do it for us. If I could have put the food down myself, if we all could have done it, there'd be no overeaters anonymous, but it's um, afraid like, what will my life look like? Um, And sometimes the fear is if I really tried and I fail, then where will I be? So I won't even try because then I can always keep it in the back of my mind that, well, the day that I really am ready and really try, I'll be able to do it. But what I would say is if you really want this and you're willing to go to any lengths, do it even even if you have the fear and trust. Um, And you can do this just by based on other people seeing, you know, you probably know 50 people who've done the work and the obsession's been relieved. So you can just like go on that and start with that. And as you do the work, you'll come to believe that, um, that you can do it. And also in a vision, the chapter of vision for you, it says, have you a sufficient substitute for, for the food, for the alcohol? And it says, yes, the fellowship. You know, your life will mean something at last. Your imagination will be fired right fired not as in like let go on a job fired is in like stoked up so you've there's so much to look forward to and so i would say if you don't already have it get a sponsor who's recovered who works through the big book and who can just like guide you through this big book and get you through the steps quickly so that you know you're on the other side of it and ps i almost ever, a lot of people i know i did on my fourth step One of my fears was fear that I'll go back to binging. Um, But that went away. Okay. So I know I just gave a lot of little here and there. I hope something in there was helpful. It was helpful. Thank you. Okay, Good.
2: Oh, sorry. I, I'm supposed to call on people. Um, Roberto, go ahead.
3: Hello, Roberto Compulsive Over-Eater. Thank you, Janet, for your chair. I identify with what you said about we don't put down material achievements and the pride of saying, "Yeah, you have that material stuff, but I have spirituality. I'm better." Um, I struggle very much with pride, and I'm praying. It's every night on my journaling to God. It's every morning on my prayer, um, and I'm 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 still struggling with it. And you know, I know part of of step six and seven is is acting as if I'm humble. Um but I'm not I'm not humble. I lack humility and I have a lot of pride. Um, so my question is, and I forgot to send my timer, but my question is, um, what are some ways that you'd say that I could um, use to act as if I'm humble? Um, if that makes sense. Thanks.
1: Yeah, two things come to mind. One is doing things for others where you don't get credit. Um, and the other, I think is prayer is prayer. There, there have been times where I've just like there's a prayer um, I use a, it's a religious prayer so people you know may not appeal to everyone, but it's called litany of humility. So it's like a prayer praying very specifically for humility um, because ultimately it's from God. If there's someone who I might feel like jealous of, or something, I might do service for that person, do things for the, for that person. And I think a lot of it is, is prayer and also um, good 10 steps. Because when I see the awful things that I've not just done in the illness, but that I continue to do the uncharitable, like not nice things that I do. And I really look at it and I go to God and like, repent of it like god please i'm so sorry i did that helps me be humble to be every day like ruthlessly looking at you know the tons of ways i've messed up during the day so that's all i got thank you okay
2: All right, so we've got Patty M. Patty, I'm gonna ask you to unmute.
4: Hi, can you hear me? Yes. I'm Patty, um, compulsive overeater, bulimic. um, And so I'm fairly new to OA and I had, I guess I can say I have 11 days um, free from binging. Um, And, and um, my ego, because of lack of humility, because I've been in recovery in another program, my ego told me I'm doing okay, you know, I'm not purging anymore. So binging, you know, I'll get over that. And um, I have so much stress in my life right now with the situation that I'm dealing with that I was. I was numbing out and something in the, that you read, and I've read the big book a million times, but um, it doesn't matter. I see, I, I hear something new every single time. And it was like, I, I can just put in the word I overeat to blot out my feelings. I blot, I just go numb. I just wanted to go numb. So I stopped doing that and I felt really well. And today I was um, clearing out a house that my daughter has lived in as she's hit bottom in her disease. So I have this dumpster and I emptied the entire refrigerator, but I found a king size candy bar in the freezer. I threw everything in the dumpster but that one candy bar, and it was huge. And I ate the whole thing. And it was like, I didn't stop, I didn't pray. And I I just felt like, oh, my God, here I go again. And I was driving back to the house I live in now. And a lady with 30 days in OA called me doing her outreach. (laughs) And she saved me. And, you know, I was just, she saved me. So that was my higher power working in my life today. And I answered the phone because it was a New Jersey number. And, you know, usually I don't answer calls that I don't recognize the number, but I was like, I wonder if this is somebody from OA and sure enough, and she talked to me for a long time and, and I felt better and I think she felt better and um, I didn't binge tonight, but I'm looking for definitely need help Um, and i'm new and i thank you for your time
2: thank you patty we're a quiet group tonight you guys we gotta show janet where we go here we go there you go sherry
0: I wanna utilize Janet's experience, (laughs) so I'll jump in. Yeah, it's a quiet group. This Janet, thank you so much. I got so much and I'm so glad it's recorded so I can go back and listen to it again. Um, But this sort of goes back a little bit to step six, but um, I would love your experience, strength and hope on this. So um, clinging on to things, right? If we're still clinging to a defect and we won't let it go, but we think that we're done with that defect. And so then we move on to step seven and we're asking, we're saying, God, take all of me. But yet, I don't know if you have this experience of that there's that, con- we're still clinging, they're, the clinging. What do you do with the clinging? I guess we're still getting something from the defect. Um, I can think of a couple of mine that are sort of, they they keep rearing their ugly head every so often. I think pride, which, which was mentioned before, so I appreciated that. but. Um, insecurity, low self-esteem, you know, these are old and then they're fine and you think they've gone away and then boom, there they are again. So what, what do you do with the ones that maybe are harder
1: to let go of? So, are you, do you mean that you're like consciously saying, dear God, you can remove all my defects except this one. I am not giving you this one
0: no, it's, it's almost, I don't know if it's delusional thinking, but it's actually saying, God, take it all. And and I really believe, you know, like I believe this time was my last bit, you know, I'm believing what I'm saying, but my actions and my thoughts are maybe showing something different.
1: Um, Okay. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to go on page 64 of the AA 12 and 12 under step six. Mm -hmm. It talks about, um, having been granted a perfect release from alcoholism or compulsive eating, why then shouldn't we be able to achieve by the same means a perfect release from every other difficulty or defect? And it says, this is the riddle of our existence, the full answer to which may be only in the mind of God. Nevertheless, at least a part of the answer um, is apparent to us. And then they go on and talk about it that Um, sometimes we really don't 100% want it to be removed. And they give examples like, well, we may have greed, but we'll call it ambition. Or, you know, my personal favorite for me, um, um, procrastination, I'll just put it off, which is really sloth. Um, So sometimes we're not really willing. And And it says, we may have to be content with patient improvement. So I know for myself, um, you know, there are plenty of defects that I still have, but I would say in the majority, yeah, even in that one, in the slothfulness one, um, I'm better than I was, you know, we should always be able to see, am I better? Am I doing better than I was six months ago? You know, we should be able to see, improvement it's like um with resentments our bounce back period should be shorter so if i'm angry and i stay angry for three hours well six months from now hopefully i only stay angry for you know two hours or one hour so in everything we should see improvement and if you're seeing improvement then i would just keep doing what you're doing and keep like doing your 10 steps and practicing the assets as best you can Thank you so much.
2: All right, I'm going to go ahead and end the recording now.